We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Rotoviz? Okay, forgive the audio there. This is a special episode of the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. You may have got some feedback there. Okay, forgive. This is live. Uh, we're doing something special here, reacting to the NFL draft. Did not realize that I had the stream open, but we're going to forget about that. It's an important night. I am Dave Cabin, one of the co owners here at Rotoviz, joined by. Curtis Patrick, another one of the owners here at Rotoviz. We also have Nathan Powell of the Dynasty Tradecast. We have Travis May, who has the top 100 rookie series coming out post draft, is the host of the College of Canton podcast. Uh, he has a rookie poll mock coming up on Twitter, and he was once hospitalized by hot sauce, he informed me. So <laughs> I think we have a great cast here tonight to start talking about this NFL draft hey curtis why don't we just high level take a step back how um how uh amazing has this draft been so far what are you thinking i mean i, I was tweeting out at, at the onset of the draft i mean it was literally playing out like a super flex fantasy draft i mean in, in the first five six picks like it was just amazing like i really can't remember the beginning of an nfl draft being so exciting i mean every every player uh, there's enough intrigue at that third spot with what the 49ers were going to do. And, and then they veer from, uh, the, the, the Mac Jones pick, which was, you know, the popular belief for like a month until a couple of days ago. And just from there, it's just been so much fun. We've had some huge trades. We've had intra division trades. Uh, I mean, we've had, uh, flurry of wide. Uh, we've seen multiple first round running backs. We've had the highest drafted tight end in NFL history. I mean, this it, it's there was there was a lot of build up for a lot of ways. I mean, the the last year was a hard year uh, for for many people for many different reasons. And I think looking to the 2021 season as something more than just football, it, it signifies you know the country coming back together, watching live events together. You see all the people in Cleveland gathered there, uh, vaccinated. There's just a lot of positivity. And, uh, I mean, to see all the offensive skill players and then even some of the line picks 
uh, protecting some of quarterbacks from the last season or two. Uh, you can get excited about that from a fantasy perspective. So, I mean, just Dave, I'm just completely amped, man. I'm completely amped. We're going to be talking about what's happened in this draft for the next couple of weeks. And, and I, for one, just, just can't wait to get started. Yeah, I mean, this has been playing out very interestingly. A really interesting pick just came in that we are going to work our way up to as we talk through uh, the landing spots for these prospects. So the first pick came in, no surprise there. It was Trevor Lawrence followed up by Zach, Wil- uh, Zach Wilson going to the Jets at the second pick in the draft. I know we've talked about them a lot. Why don't we very quickly take a step back. We don't even have to go through the comps on these ones, I don't think. But uh, let's start with you, Nathan. Um, Any initial gut reaction now that we have confirmed that those truly are the first two picks to start the draft? So so the main reaction as far as Trevor Lawrence is that he's going into a situation that is not barren and will evolve into how not barren it is. But pre-draft, it was DJ Chark, Willis Kishanal, and Marvin Jones. That's not a bad wide receiver core to start your NFL career with. And they have NFL draft capital to invest in weapons around them and also a defense to build around them. So it it's one of those things I don't have to sell you on why you should like Trevor Lawrence, but the Jaguars with their draft capital and with their drafting are putting together a team and their free agency or even trades. They're putting together a team that should be successful and that should help the dynasty value of one Trevor Lawrence. Awesome. Yeah. Travis, I see you nodding your head. Anything to add there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even coming in, we, we knew that he had some uh, weapons to play around with there. And uh, who knows, he might have Tim Tebow as a tight end here soon. So that, that obviously that would shoot his ADP through the roof uh, just by adding Tim Tebow, right? So that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's definitely a thing. But uh, no, I think I'm, I'm super excited. And looking at Trevor Lawrence, we, we knew for years this was going to be it. This is going to be his draft. Uh, and to see him go number one overall was not a surprise. Three years with uh, 90th percentile plus pass, passing efficiency numbers uh, and some s- sneaky mobility, I guess, uh, yeah. to, to you know overuse draft terms uh, that are really lame to begin with. But, yeah, so I'm really excited uh, about um, his future and is an instant quarterback one in, in just about any kind of format. Awesome. Now let's just turn our attention quickly to the Jets pick. Um Jets, not the most well-run organization. I know I personally did not have Wilson as my number two. What do you make of him going to New York? Uh, and through, from a fantasy lens, uh, you know, give us what your take would be there. For me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sticking with me, two in a row. Okay. Two in a row, yeah. So, yeah, Zach yeah. Wilson, uh, I, I actually was running the Road of His Dynasty handle tonight, and I was curious everyone's thoughts kind of right away. Okay, so who has the the best fantasy outlook out of the quarterbacks taken? Just looking at the top four quarterbacks that were taken tonight, and uh, Zach Wilson was pulling a solid, like, 5 or 6%. Uh, people voting him as the top option. Uh, and I think those were just accidental, uh, misclicks, uh, because, uh, anytime a, a quarterback goes to the Jets, his career is automatically over. And we know this. So, uh, I'm really not excited about this. He's immediately the quarterback five, 
given his landing spot and weapons around him and just any faith in the opportunity uh, and, and the situation there is just not great. I mean, okay, Jamison Crowder, okay, Corey Davis, like I'm maybe a little bitter because he left my Titans, but you know, it's not, and it's not like he's got a bunch of, bunch of good things to work with. So hopefully they continue to build things around him, but he already had the competition questions and he already had uh, multiple questions about his profile outside of just his raw arm strength, I guess. Yep. Uh, so he was suspect coming in and this did not help. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I actually was just working on a write-up um, reacting to these, these quarterback landing spots before we came on. I had a very similar take. Any uh, other thoughts that we might have on him? Nathan, how about you? I think that Travis's QB5 take is an interesting one because – I don't really see how you can take Mac Jones in a Patriots offense that has Jacoby Myers, Nikhil Harry, and, you know, the tight ends they invested in, the free agency, Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. I, I haven't seen enough from Bill Belichick outside of the Tom Brady experience that I'm confident in him building a team around a quarterback or I'm confident in him using a quarterback. And so I, it may be a very small squabble, but, like, there's no chance I would ever take Mac Jones over Zach Wilson with the difference in draft capital and with I, my lack of confidence in Bill Belichick. No, that's, that's yeah, Nathan, fair. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Nathan, I, I 100% agree with you, actually. Um, I, I think my quarterback rankings may be unchanged. I mean, we're working our way through, you know, these top five guys. Um, there's only one debate I have, and it's going to be at two and three. Uh, Wilson was my four coming in and I think I think he stays there um he at least wins I think he wins tiebreakers on the the skill position players that are there in New York I know Travis uh you know compared to other situations in the NFL the Jets are super rosy I still would prefer I would still prefer what they have uh versus what New England is rolling out there at the skill positions and at least Wilson adds something uh with his feet um you know he he can score uh, rushing touchdowns, we've, we've seen that. I mean, he can ra- really rack him up. And I think he's a threat to rush for a couple hundred yards a year. That's going to raise some interceptions for him. Um, I, I just think the ceiling is much higher, whereas Mac Jones, you really have to thread the needle to be a, a real fantasy asset as a pure pocket passer only. Um, we're just not seeing that profile be fantasy relevant above kind of that low-end QB1 range now. So um, we're, we're – I think either one of us are uh, are the ones that any of us are excited about taking in our next super flex rookie draft, other than just maybe having a value hit um, later on if they slide. Um, I'm not hearing anybody say QB4 for Wilson. So I think we found some alignment there as a group. Yep. Um, Just have to pop in here for one second and let everybody that's listening to this on the podcast tomorrow know I will not be doing much editing. So if you hear any skipping, you know, you're just going to have to deal with it for this one. We will be hitting upon all of these players uh, in the next couple of weeks. So if anything, uh, you know, super important gets clipped out thanks to Curtis's uh, terrible Internet from living out on about 100 acres of, uh, <laughs> of of woods, we'll just have to deal with it. But I do want to keep things moving off of those passers. Let's get into Trey Lance going to San Francisco with the third pick. That was the the initial splash that kind of got this draft really going. I personally feel pretty good about this landing spot. I'd like to pull up Sims or comps for him, but actually with him playing outside of the big leagues in college football, we don't have that. So, uh, Nathan, let's start with you on this one. 
Uh, do you agree with me that this is actually a pretty exciting development? Yeah, I think this is a huge, huge development for Trey Lance at the third uh, pick with the 49ers. That the only way that Justin Fields wasn't going to be the QB2 was if Trey Lance landed in San Francisco, and that has happened. Uh, San Francisco has Debo Samuel, Brandon Aok, George Kittle, a nice stable of weapons going on to where, you know, they, they did invest a lot to get to this number three pick. And, th- and that was honestly the, the part that I was most confused about with the Mac Jones rumors, that them getting from, from 12 to three, it cost them three first-round picks. And that just didn't make sense to get such a, like, low-ceiling play in Mac Jones. They go with, after Trey Lance, and I think that's a high-ceiling play. And this is a guy that can be a long-term, you know, QB1 for the 49ers and a top 10, top 12-ish NFL quarterback. So I, I love the pick for, for the 49ers and also think that it's – it is definitely the best scenario out of all the quarterbacks that went somewhere. He went to the best scenario. He went to the best uh, landing spot. Yeah, I don't think I would disagree with you, Travis. Are you on board with that as well? Yeah, I mean, everybody wanted their guy to go to the 49ers because of uh, the opportunity and, and the scheme that's uh, pretty friendly to quarterbacks. And certainly the surrounding cast looks better and better every time you look back at it. The, the more detail you dig into, you're like, okay, yeah, this is an incredible opportunity. And when you build in his mobility uh, with that opportunity and the creativity that can be there now that was not there with any of the quarterbacks that they've had, uh, in the past year or two. Uh, yeah, it's obviously the best situation to jump in and have some success right away. Now, I, I was just on another show um, just earlier this evening talking about, uh, you know, ha- well, several people actually on the same group were actually talking about how they were, well, well Trey Lance, is, this is perfect because he can sit behind Jimmy Garoppolo. And I'm like, ah, like I don't know why. I mean, I guess, but I think it the moment Garoppolo struggles at all, I could see Lance popping in and immediately never giving the, the job back again uh, just because of what he brings as a dual threat um, on the ground. And, and really, uh, he's got the crazy arm strength, and he's got a nice analytical profile if you squint and are okay with uh, his his FCS competition level. Um, he's got a great 28-0 to zero touchdown interception season that we've been talking about for a year and a half now but uh but yeah I, I definitely like it I, I actually still have Justin Fields as my quarterback too but it's it's they're kind of in the same same tier now I think there's just a break and then four and five uh with Wilson and, and Mac Jones are kind of by themselves got it Curtis I saw you um nodding your head down there um it looks like uh you're also kind of excited about this uh about this maneuver and, and you know the one thing that i do want to say i guess before we before i actually let curtis have a chance to pop in here is that if i'm thinking about jimmy garoppolo in the context of the 49ers you know he's not the type of player that we've seen really do a whole lot in terms of actual game situations to put to push this team forward whereas it feels like you know if you're the niners you want you made this pick to get your guy in Lance, you're looking for a playmaker that you can bring in there and really make a difference. So I'm definitely not expecting that we see Garoppolo open the season. And then you take the comments from the team's head coach. It's some very strange commentary, uh, and you put that in there, and I'm just kind of feeling better about Lance's prospects. But, Curtis, it looks like uh, you, you want to get in here. Yeah, I'm going to turn my uh, camera off okay. while I'm talking. Hopefully we don't get the uh, garbled gook here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 
first out of the top 10. Like this just reeks of what happened to Deshaun Watson uh, a few years ago. Um, it feels exactly the same to me. He had a sterling profile. He's a winner in college. He was, he was a highly recruited player out of high school dating all the way back. And it's just a really a head scratcher for me that so many teams who needed quarterback in the top 10 were willing to pass on him. Like that's, that's the biggest, I guess, warning sign for me. And I'm kind of where Nathan is where it's like, I could almost glance over Justin Fields for fantasy at this point because he hits, he hits, you know, the absolute top landing spot, uh, in the, in, in San Francisco. And then you just wonder, like, what is there not like about Justin Fields? Like even Detroit, like Jared Goff's not their future. Like, I mean, it, these, these teams that needed quarterback more than anything were willing to pass on Justin for defensive uh, perimeter players. And, and the cornerback's important in this league, and you can never have too many, but it's not quarterback. It's not edge. It's not left tackle. So, like, that's like just like the NFL context of a team not believing in fields in a, in a quarterback-rich draft like this. That's what it really uh, gives me some pause. So it's going to take, take a day or two for this to really sink in. Um, Lance certainly enters the tier uh, Fields and Lawrence for over, you know, QB one. Um, I mean, I think you still have to like Lawrence there, but now I can see a scenario where Lance actually becomes the overall, you know, QB one for fantasy in this class. And I'm not sure that unless he this specific landing spot. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, seeing as we've, we've been talking a lot about the quarterbacks here, let's just round things out before we pop back to Atlanta picking Kyle Pitts at four and just quickly get the thoughts of the group on Mac Jones. We talked, I think a little bit about this as a group before we actually came on air with Nathan saying that he does not trust Bill Belichick to use Mac Jones correctly. I believe was the quote. Do I have that correct, sir? Not, no, not used correct, not used correctly, more so to develop. Okay. Like it, I, I, I think that if you're taking Mac Jones in like the top eight or nine of Superflex drafts right now, it's because you have a trust in Bill Belichick. And I don't currently have that trust because he's been incompetent with getting weapons outside of like a Randy Moss trade 12 years ago. Um, so. Yeah, I, I just have some trust issues with what the Patriots are doing. And there is, like, I feel like, you know, a 30 to 50% chance that, like, Belichick doesn't know what he's doing outside of having Brady with him. Wow. So I am sitting here in New Hampshire as you say that, and I'm worried that just via proxy of that coming through my headphones, somebody's going to come and bring me to jail. Uh, Travis or Curtis, do either of you have some some strong thoughts in response to that? <laughs> Travis, what do you think? Oh, and Nathan, just I th- were you actually staring at the Patriots helmet behind Dave as you said that? Because, uh, <laughs> oh man, that's I feel like that's a just personal a- attack right there. But no, I think there's certainly some evidence that my, that might be the case. But you you got to hope that uh, the scheme that they have in place uh, with you know helps. Mac Jones is, you know, lack of person, I guess, uh, perfect arm strength, uh, and, and what he can do downfield as a passer, maybe. And maybe he has, um, you know, he might not have the best weapons, but maybe they just set him up to have some schematic success. Uh, so I, but I understand the concerns there. Um, I just think he's a, a better prospect than a lot of people give him credit for, especially with his, uh, 
final season being incredible, like a 98th percentile passing efficiency season, even without the mobility. It was incredible. Five 400-yard passing games. Alabama's history only has 10 of those. Uh, so, that, I mean, I, I'm not going to doubt Mac Jones's ability, especially a guy going mid-first round. The difference in that capital to pick 10 or whatever it is is not uh, super significant if we're just talking – you know, hit rates I, and everything. So I'm not too worried about it. I, I will say one thing. I don't necessarily love Mac Jones as a player, but I am going to end up with a lot more Mac Jones as a Patriot at 15 than I would have if Mac Jones was a Niner at three. Like, I'm going to like yeah. his value in that 10 to 12 range. If he was a Niner at three, he would be in the four to six range. Right there with you, man. Curtis, you got uh, any strong thoughts on Mac Jones? Yeah, I, I don't. I, I mean, it's hard for me to fade Travis's, uh, I guess, rosy take of his profile. Um, and you know, if he can be a high, you know, pass completion percentage guy, and, and if he had better weapons, I would be more optimistic on him. Like he can just dish it, you know, dish it to you know the weapons and let them rack up some yak. I, I just I don't understand what the Patriots offense is supposed to be. And that just gives me a lot of pause. There's a, a question in the chat from Frank Duffy. Frank, one of the best Twitter followers I have. Um, does Mac beat out Cam in year one? Um, does Mac beat year one? I mean, I think that the Patriots be competitive this year um, with or without Cam Newton. Um, so that's kind of a, a difficult question, but I'm going to say that uh, that Cam actually starts the season and uh, it's a, a little bit of experience. Um, the Patriots haven't been a, a team that's been very quick to turn large roles over to rookies um, over Belichick's tenure, which has been several decades, and we've got a pretty good sample size on that now. Um, even when they drafted Garoppolo and, and there were rumors of Brady, um, you know, kind of being on that decline, you know, he just continued to sit despite how good he looked in the preseason and in spot starting the suspension year. So I, th- I think I should look forward to it. Yeah, it seems like I might have missed the last piece of that, Curtis. You mind uh, just saying that again? The last piece there? Yeah, I think Mac Jones will hold the clipboard all year. I think I think it's Cam Newton's job in 2021. Okay, got it. Yeah, I mean, that should definitely be interesting to see how it plays out. My expectation is that Cam likely starts the year. I'm not going to say, though, that I think it's permanent that he holds on to that. I really would not be shocked around week six we start to see the transition. Uh, that, though, takes us through the quarterbacks. Now what I really want to get into is some of these players at the receiver running back position, but we got to start with the tight end going the highest that we've ever seen. That is Kyle Pitts now getting teamed with Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, and an Atlanta offense that was one time one of the most exciting in the league. Are they going to get back there? Travis, talk to me about how good Kyle Pitts is and how good of a landing spot and how good of a fit this is for him. Yeah, I think we've been talking about Kyle Pitts for months now as like a generational tight end. Uh, and so I, I'd say people are probably tired of hearing that, but it's yep. still true today. Uh, you, we're talking about a guy who, you know, was peaking this past fall at, at age 21-ish, uh, even under that, I guess, um, for part of the season, you know, with like, what, a 32% dominator rating, uh, you know, taking up almost a third of the 
receiving offense for the Florida Gators, which is, you know, like double what normally counts as a, a tight end breakout in college. Like co- college tight ends, people don't understand. College tight ends just aren't very productive, uh, especially early on. And Kyle Pitts defied that, that production arc and was like, Hey man, I'm kind of like a wide receiver slash tight end slash just amazing phenomenal freak. He's got, you know, that freak score around the 99th percentile athletically. And then he also has a great production profile. And then he's got perfect draft capital going in the top five picks. And then he goes to a system with the Atlanta Falcons. You know, they're bringing in um, my dude Arthur Smith from the Titans, uh, former tight ends coach who loves using tight ends quite a bit. And, in fact, no other team, you know, then the, the Titans actually ran more than uh, 12 personnel last year. That is uh, one running back, two wide receivers, two tight ends. And basically 50% of the time, or even more, he actually had tight end, like two tight ends on the field. Uh, he loves using his tight ends. In fact, oh, like I think over 130 targets went to tight ends for the Titans last year. However, the problem is, when you really break it down, you realize, oh crap, no tight end actually individually saw more than 70 targets on the Titans last year. So yes, he has multiple tight ends on the field. Yes, he's obsessed with building them into the progression, but does he change his usage and actually put all those targets onto one tight end when they still have Hayden Hurst there, when they still have, you know, two really good wide receivers there? and Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. And so what does it look like when, you know, 250-plus targets are going to go to those top two wide receivers and the guy who is, you know, he's going to share some snaps with the the tight end position uh, had like 90 targets last year. Are all those just going to disappear? It's kind of like it's hard to just immediately project that he's going to come in and take all the work. But when you invest that kind of capital, you have to assume that there's going to be a pretty early opportunity for Kyle Pitts. And with an offensive coordinator that loves using the tight ends as much as Arthur Smith does, uh, there is a path to early production for Kyle Pitts, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I, I think you made a lot of good points there because I haven't heard people talking about the fact that you're still going to have Hurst there, the way that Arthur Smith has deployed those two tight ends. Nathan, we know how great of a prospect he is. We've talked about some of the highlights. If I asked you to spin me a narrative as to why people should be less excited about Kyle Pitts than they are, would you have anything to present me with? My primary thing to present you with would be he's a tight end. (laughs) And tight ends have an incredibly low hit rate. And even when they do hit, they aren't as valuable as running backs and wide receivers in comparison from a dynasty perspective. And so that's really the way to spin, you know, not valuing uh, Kyle Pitts as a top five, top six, you know, overall super flex rookie asset. Um, but I think he's fine. I, I think that the my main beef with the Kyle Pitts pick is that the Falcons were in perfect position to reset. They had so an opportunity to reset the franchise, trade Matt Ryan, dump Matt Ryan, dump Julio Jones, and basically create a new team. But they decided let's – Let's try and continue this, you know, mediocre build with Kyle Pitts. And so, obviously, this is more of a dynasty show. But from a from a non fantasy perspective, I don't understand the pick. I think that this just cements the Falcons into the middle of the NFC South and into the middle middle of the NFC, uh, um, you know, as it would be. But from a fantasy perspective. I have Kyle Pitts as tight end three, tight end four in Dynasty, and he's the top tight end drafted ever. And so, you know, you got to like what you, you're going to see from there, and there's not much running game there with, you know, Mike Davis as their RB1 as of, you know, recording this podcast. I'm sure they're going to invest either a third or fourth round pick in the running back position. But 
In, in terms of Kyle Pitts, I think that it's a solid landing spot here. I, I just don't really understand the purpose for Atlanta. Got it. Hey, Curtis, do you have any updates for me on what we might have in any of the Rotoviz tools or, um, you know, just anything that you wanted to add on Pitts? Yeah, so we like to look at the box score scout. Uh, after the NFL draft and because we can, the one variable that we don't know during population piece is what's the draft happy. We, we could guess that Pitts would be early, but now we can actually enter in draft pick four and, and see where he lands. And, uh, the closest player to him is no fan, but the score is 24. So, I mean, it just shows you. I, I mean, he's a, he's a unicorn. Like Kyle Pitts really is a unicorn. Like there's no, no one compares to him. Even the players that do compare to him don't really compare to him. Uh, Ebron, TJ Kinson, uh, that's really, I mean, you can't get any better than that. It's a, 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 a trio of what top 15 NFL draft picks, which is fine. Uh, I think Pitt will draft it in most formats. I think like two tight end is where I would consider taking him as early as he's going to go. Otherwise, I'd really rather go a different direction uh, for dynasty purposes. Got it. So Pitts goes at four, and then we have the first receiver going another player that everybody has been super high on. And, of course, that is Jamar Chase coming out of LSU, gets to play with Joe Burrow, get to put that connection back together course you have Tyler Boyd there in that offense you have T Higgins another bright young star from last year what do we do now with this with this offense Nathan talk to me about how good of a landing spot this may be for Chase and then if this really does cause concerns for the receivers in that group and if this really now has to pull Higgins down in everyone's mind in terms of his value yeah this has been my biggest concern from the Bengals all off season. I'm a huge Higgins guy. He was one of my top rated rookies last year and a guy who I've drafted in several dynasty leagues, but there's no way, no two ways about drafting Jamar Chase at five hurts T Higgins dynasty value. And so, yes, the Bengals are going to have one of the, like, this is a poor man's version of what we saw in Dallas last year, where the rich get richer with a targets perspective. Last year, the Dallas had Amari Cooper, Michael Galvin, they added CeeDee Lamb. And now the Bengals have Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, and they add Jamar Chase. And so you're really adding things, some, like, on a team that has a lot of weaknesses, they're adding to something that isn't a weakness, which is the wide receiver position. Now, will the Bengals be a better team long term because they drafted Jamar Chase? Probably, but I will say that it, they're filling a hole that wasn't really there. But what I am saying here is that the T Higgins, it does decrease his long-term upside. It does decrease his short-term upside. And I, I think Chase is fine. Chase is going to be, you know, a low-end wire receiver one, high-end wire receiver two. Higgins is where I'm a little bit worried about the target distribution once, once Chase, you know, ends up developing. But I still think both are very solid in both top 24 dynasty receivers. Got it. Uh, Curtis, what do you have to add in there for us? Yeah, so I think I'm going to pose a question here. I mean, everyone knows uh, that's been listening to our show, Dave, and that has, I mean, been in and out of the Dynasty Command Center chat. Looked at my Debbie rankings over the years, like Chase was a smash, right? Um, so it's it's really about, you know, is his value right in Dynasty? So I'm looking at the Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty Startup ADP. 
And Jamar Chase entering tonight had a wide receiver seven overall positional ADP. So landing in Cincy with the other receivers there, uh, I want to ask Nathan first because I, I really enjoyed his take. Wide receiver seven overall. Personally, I think it's, I think it's too high. I really like he's going in front of Stephon Diggs there. He's going in front of Calvin Ridley there. Like I understand the value piece, but he's going in front of like players I that will win you really like he's that are also prime major younger right now. And I just don't know how I feel about it in that offense. Uh, so maybe start, start with Nathan and then, you know, Dave or Travis, uh, wide receiver seven. How do you feel about that? Yeah, wide receiver seven seems a bit expensive for a couple of reasons. Because T. Higgins still exists. T. Higgins is still one of the best wire, young wide receivers in the NFL. But also, something that you have to take into account with any Bengals wide receiver or any Bengals player, Joe Burrow is still recovering from major knee surgery. And, you know, the value of, of Jamar Chase, the value of T. Higgins kind of rests on Joe Burrow and his ability to recover from this major knee injury. So, Yes, we've come a long way medically in that most likely Joe Burrow will be fine. But I think that a lot of the valuations around the Bengals offense, particularly Jamar Chase, particularly Joe Burrow, especially if you're considering Jamar Chase the wide receiver seven, that is basically saying I'm not worried about Joe Burrow's knee at all. Um, and I am. So I wouldn't draft Jamar Chase at wide receiver seven. I would draft him at 102 in a 1QB dynasty startup. I mean, 1QB one, one dynasty rookie draft. But I wouldn't draft him wide receiver seven in a startup. Yeah, that, that's a little rich, especially when you mention guys like Diggs being in a similar value range. I mean, that's that. I mean, you're you're drafting him at uh, at or near his ceiling, especially given the other options there with Higgins and Boyd. And, and yes, last year, if you look at the target splits, it is kind of crazy to think about this, but there were three wide receivers who actually had over a hundred targets. Uh, there for the Bengals last year, and they were spreading it around and, and airing it out, and uh, nobody had an over 120 targets. Uh, and AJ Green, or the, the ghost or zombie version of him that is now gone, uh, is no longer there. And they plug in Jamar Chase, who should be a clear and obvious upgrade. Uh, but does anybody actually pull more than 120 targets out of the three? I'm not really sure. Uh, and so because of that you know, target distribution, uh, distribution and ambiguity. I just can't, can't really go all in on chase. Like I'd want to given how much I love him as a prospect. So can I just float this out there? Right. Um, in comparison to a player like CD lamb, who's in an offense where you have Michael Gallup, you also have Amari Cooper, and that's a really tough situation to be in. Um, if we're thinking about Lamb in his context and we're thinking about the context of Chase, who I think it, it's kind of interesting. Like, is it fair of me to say that in Chase's offense, we all now would assume that he is by and large the best player? Whereas if you're thinking about Lamb, it's not so clear cut. Like, I'm just trying to think of how analogous those situations are. Yeah, Dave, I think that's that's great because I was going to interject and actually say Cincy is basically uh, uh, the the outdoors with a quarterback we're not sure about yet. So, I mean, like they could be the next Dallas. Um, they really could. And and I don't think it's presumptuous to say Chase is the, the, the legitimate, you know, best weapon there. He should be the alpha of the passing game. Um, it's not that Higgins or Boyd aren't nice talents, and I think they're they're both good at what they need to do within the context of the offense. But Chase should be Chase should be the alpha. I think 
that he will be the alpha in Dallas. Just the chemistry that he he displayed with Dak right out of the gate, despite really not getting an offseason, a traditional offseason last year, um, he seems to be a perfect fit for Dak that gets to play indoors. Um, and, and the Dallas team, I mean, they look set to be like an NFL uh, league-leading uh, scoring offense or maybe even perhaps a record-setting offense. I mean, they really were they, – they were just – liquid magma hot last year it was nuts um so yeah I, I think it's i think it's very similar um the, the slight difference for me with cd is now we've at least seen it we saw it for a month with dak and we saw what that looked like with jamar chase we we don't know i mean we saw it in college um to be fair so that's more information than we had on cd and dak last year at this time um you know but how how will that how will that transfer it's not the same offense uh, Burrow's hurt now, and you know, so, you know, certainly Cincinnati uh, versus the FC North is not LSU versus college football. Yeah, that definitely <laughs> makes a lot of sense there. Uh, so I certainly understand those points. Uh, we could probably continue to expand upon that, but I do want to move along to make sure that we're able to get to one of my favorite players that was coming out of this class, and that is Jalen Waddle coming out of Alabama goes as the first of the two Alabama receivers that went in the first round. He lands now in Miami playing with Tua, and he gets to go back with the former teammate. Hopefully there's already some chemistry there. I think some people might find this kind of an interesting landing spot because you do have Will Fuller. There might be some overlap between skill sets, obviously both very speedy players. Travis, let's start with you on this one. Um, heading, give us your, your quick take on, um, where Waddle would have ranked in this class heading into the draft. And if that has moved at all as a result of the landing spot and the draft capital that, uh, Miami put into him. I think uh, a lot of people that value analytics, uh, over the film side of analysis would have had him going in the later first round, uh, for super flex, uh, rookie drafts. I think that's pretty safe to say, but people who kind of have a balanced approach or value kind of a more film heavy analysis and just love his raw tools and burst and just ridiculous, uh, athleticism to his game probably would have still had him in, in the middle of the first round of super flex drafts. And, and frankly, I'm not going to double count here uh, and, you know, be like, oh, he got the exact draft capital that I thought he was going to and move him up my board because of it. Uh, he's going to stay right where I, I had him already as a, as a late first kind of pick. Um, early on, I think 70 to 80 targets, maybe, maybe max 90 um, is probably what we're looking at in year one for him, just given the, uh, the opportunity at hand and the offense that he's going to be inserted into. But, uh, you know, he could pop off and have a few big games just given his skill set. And so you might have uh, a few uh, sell-high windows because of that. And so that's probably going to be fun for the people that do uh, go ahead and invest in Jalen Waddle. But I'm not super high on his long-term, high-volume fantasy football contribution. Got it. Um, one thing that's probably worth just pointing out in the context of that, too, is I believe Will Fuller is on a one-year deal. Um, so if that's something that's scaring anybody off that's listening to this show long term, you might not need to let that factor in that much. Before I head over to Curtis to get some of the uh, updated comps now that we know his landing spot, you have any uh, quick thoughts for me, Nathan, on uh, Waddle to Miami? This is what Tua needed. Tua needed a guy um, to get some separation. I know that some of that, to an extent, is Fuller. But he needed a guy long-term who is going to get the separation in the offense. He wasn't going to survive with Devontae Parker. 
Devontae Parker, you know, being his number one wide receiver. So I, I personally didn't like the pick. I keep on putting my NFL slant here, but like, yeah. I, I would I, I would have much rather them go, gone after Sewell at six and protect, protected Tua, uh, Tua from a you know offensive line perspective. But if they weren't going to go that direction, I think that Waddle was the next best option with the speed that he provides to an offense. Curtis, what do you got for me? Uh, yeah, yeah. the updated Sims uh, for Jalen Waddle in this landing spot. Jerry Judy actually becomes his number one Sim, uh, followed by C.D. Lamb. Uh, we get in there and Ted Ginn, all the top four. Um, so, so this is a pretty, uh, this is a pretty dicey group. Um, a, a coin flip going a little bit further. We see Percy Harvin. You can see some, uh, overlap and skill set there. That's pretty interesting to pull in. Uh, but then we also get Nelson Aguilar, Dexter McCluster. Um, I, I'm, I, I think that the Sims say there's a wide range of outcomes, um, despite the high draft capital here. You know, it's an athletic guy with a dicey production profile. That's what we get. And that's a profile that we aren't exactly certain uh, how that's going to translate to the NFL. But, you know, I do think him and Will Fuller, even in year one, can be complementary players. Like Fuller primarily is an intermediate and deep threat. And I think Waddle can be a threat in, at all three levels and is a better, you know, yak uh, weapon than than Fuller. And so so I do think that they're, they're complementary players. Uh, and I'm mostly happy that, uh, the Dolphins dodged, or that Miles Gaskin dodged the Dolphins' uh, first round uh, running back um, <laughs> bomb. There, that's probably my favorite thing about the, the, this pick uh, for the Dolphins and their their pick. To tease that. Yes, I'm certainly happy about that as well. I like what you noted about uh, Waddle being able to play at all three levels. As I've said for a while now, I'm actually pretty high on him. Maybe this isn't the greatest landing spot he could have, but it doesn't change my opinion too much on him one final note that i'll say as we read through some of these list of comps um it, like when we're reading through the first 10 and you still might see like four or five guys that aren't the greatest comps in there to me like uh those are actually still pretty good lists when you're getting players that entered the league with pretty good profiles because i think that what rotoviz users will find when they go and they play around with this is a lot of receivers uh, might get one or two interesting names in there. So just keep that in mind as we read through these. So uh, we have Waddle going at pick six. Carolina and Detroit both passed up their opportunity to uh, go the route of getting Justin Fields. Denver also skips going for Fields. Finally, we get to the Eagles making a move to go and get Waddle's teammate, in Devonta Smith, we talked on the show, Curtis, about how his size may not have been as much of a thing that people needed to worry about as it was made out to be by some. Uh, we'll come back to you in a second. Nathan, what do you think of this landing spot? And uh, does this shoot um, you know, Smith's value up in any way going to a team that looks like it could certainly be in use of his skills? <laughs> Well, we talked a little bit pre-show about the future of the Eagles offense in relation to Jalen Hurts. And if Jalen Hurts and the Eagles are going to be successful, it's going to be with Devonta Smith as the wide receiver one. We saw minimal to nothing from Jalen Rager in year one. And so I think this puts you know Devonta Smith in the driver's seat for being the wide receiver one. In addition to the draft capital spent on him, they, they traded up. They used a third-round pick to move from 12 to 10, which is – kind of a hefty price tag just move up two spots. So I, I think that 
with Devon Smith, they're dead set on this is our number one. They didn't want the Giants to take him. They didn't want him to have be didn't want him to be with their division rival. So I, I like the landing spot because I think that this offense has some upside. Um, I think that the Eagles' offense as, as a whole has one of the lower floors in the NFL, but it also has one of the higher ceilings if Jalen Hurts develops into a solid pocket passer. Travis, you agree with that? Yeah, I, I said it better. I think that they're looking to make him the focal point of the offense there. As much as uh, I think all of us probably liked uh, Jalen Rager last year, and I think he could still pop in and be productive as uh, the second option there. You have to conclude that Devontae Smith is going to be the go-to option there. Uh, and I think for many people, Devontae Smith is probably uh, still in the wide receiver two conversation in this class. Uh, and I think that's exactly where he belongs, despite what we might say about his BMI and despite what too many people have said about his BMI. Um, what he does and it is incredible. And really, if you look at his peak production, he's a 98th percentile kind of prospect, uh, 90th percentile prospect, according to the uh, adjusted production index and uh, a measure actually put together that takes a look at uh, receiving dominator rating, yards per team pass attempt, and touchdowns per team pass attempt. Really a balanced view of of his of really any wide receiver's overall contribution uh, in terms of being able to handle volume, uh, being able to maintain efficiency in that volume, and being able to score touchdowns at a high rate. Uh, and then when you throw in the draft capital, it just it's an easy decision to keep him uh, as a really high, highly valued wide receiver in this class. Okay, yeah, so some of the updated uh, sims for Devontae Smith from our prospect box score scout, Corey Coleman, actually uh, his, his closest, Odo Beckham Jr., his number two. Uh, we pull in Kendall Wright, Devontae Parker, Michael Floyd, Nelson Aguilar. Uh, but then then we get uh, pretty exciting at the end. We get CeeDee Lamb, uh, good Mike Williams, Clemson Mike Williams, uh, Brandon Cooks and Sammy Watkins. So, I mean, this is a really good uh, top 10 here. And um, the thing that I like about this landing spot is it it, uh, it really legitimizes the Eagles' belief uh, or my belief that the Eagles view Jalen Hurts as their franchise quarterback. Um, and so I like Nathan's point about the floor being low, um, but I, I think it's an under, you know, I mean, the ceiling is very high. Uh, I don't think that you can you can overstate that. I mean, and we have some very talented guys. Um, I obviously wrote up Jalen Rager uh, as one of my trades in a couple of weeks. Um, I think his price is going to drop after this, um, but perhaps what you know he needed within the context of the offense is uh, to not be the only you know only player that belongs on an NFL roster, which is kind of the situation uh, we had with that wide receiver core last year. So um, very excited about this landing spot for Devontae Smith. And like Travis said, you know, BMI, not as important as API. Uh, I prefer those three letters here when we're evaluating uh, Devontae. Oh, I, I, I like that. There's a quote. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. All right. So uh, you, after, you know, you also had the other trade there, uh, the Bears moving up for Justin Fields, which uh, I was really hoping New England could get him. So I felt obligated to mention that again. But we've talked enough about the quarterbacks, I believe. The next player that that brings us to that we have to talk about is a player that I was not a big fan of. I believe that Travis was not a big fan of. Um, Nathan, you may have agreed. Yes, you you agreed with me here as well. And that was Kadarius Toney, wide receiver out of Florida, going to the Giants to likely play in the slot. 
They're bringing in Kenny Galladay this year. They have Daniel Jones at quarterback. What did you make of this pick? You can give me your NFL perspective and then also your uh, fantasy spin on this. So from an NFL perspective, I don't necessarily think there's a huge separation between wide receiver four carries or wide receiver yeah, for Kadarius Tony and maybe wide receiver seven, who's going to get taken in the second round. Yep. But my, my problem here was that it wasn't, it's not necessary to take a wide receiver four in this draft at pick 20 because you can then pick wide receiver seven at pick 47, 40, pick 43. Um, but in terms of, you know, a fantasy perspective, I think it's an, a solid landing spot for, for Tony himself. Um, there's a lot of different things going on in that Giants offense, but this, and we see this a lot with young quarterbacks, but this is the Giants saying, all right, Daniel Jones, we're going to give you everything we possibly can, and if you can't succeed with Kadarius Toney, Sterling Shepard, Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, if you can't succeed with all this, then you're a bust. And sometimes that's often, often like necessary evil, like give this quarterback everything that they can possibly have, and then judge them on it. And so Tony is not going to be my, you know, wide receiver four drafted in dynasty or fantasy, but he enters an interesting situation where he could be, you know, wide receiver one, wide receiver one, a, in this giants offense. Got it. Travis, uh, what are your thoughts on Tony? No mention of Galladay there, man. I see, I see how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we'll, we'll go with two. He's the wide receiver two behind God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I I really I, I've I've joked a lot about how much I don't like Kadarius Tony as a, as a prospect, and I think I even said earlier this evening if the Titans took uh, Kadarius Tony, I would just disown the Titans later, man. I'll just root for the Falcons, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, he's not going to be, you know, like Nathan said, going early in rookie drafts for me. I'm going to end up with zero Kadarius Tony just because everyone else that likes him already more than I do is going to reach because he's got the capital. And even, even the people that just show up tomorrow and be like, oh, yeah, Kadarius Tony got capital. I should take him. I'm going to end up with none of it because – Analytically speaking, he's a hard nope. And the only thing that was ever going to fix his profile was going to be first-round draft capital. Uh, and even so, like, his best comps are, are not the best. Like, he, he still comps to a bunch of really terrible players uh, outside of basically Percy Harvin uh, and maybe, you know, Curtis Samuel, if you like that. Uh, but if you plug him into most of the uh, – uh, most any kind of model still, even with first round capital, uh, where he was taken, it's not great. So yes, he had a weird. For those that are not familiar with him and his story, you know, he was a, a quarterback in high school, uh, converted to a utility player on, on off and on with basically this running back wide receiver thing that Florida wanted to do, and really wasn't given the reins to just embrace the wide receiver position fully. Until this past season, and he was a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun to watch, but he's got a lot to figure out at the position, even from a film standpoint. So I, uh, I'm i just going to end up with zero, and I'm okay. <laughs> That's all I have to say about Tony. Dave's <laughs> been waiting to use that, like, all night. I have, uh, yes. He, he was waiting for the Kadarius Tony <laughs> breakdown. So Travis actually did hit a couple of – the Sims uh, from the uh, Rotoviz Prospect Box Score Scout. Um, our closest Sim for Tony with uh, draft position 20 is uh, Philip Dorsett. But you get Percy, Sam, Ruggs, Judy. 
Like, I don't really think that that's that bad. I mean, for the top five, uh, Dorsett's the only um, total whiff there um, so far. I mean, I think the jury's out on Henry Ruggs and Jerry. In, uh, and Jerry. Um, when you look really directly at the at the profile, I didn't really appreciate how close of a production and athletic profile he has to Curtis Samuel. So I think, you know, that's the potential ceiling, but I do think he's more raw and he isn't as accomplished even like as a runner on some of those plays as what Samuel was like. Samuel was like legitimately a hybrid back slash receiver in that Meyer offense uh, early in the career before he started focusing a little bit more uh, on, on the, you know, kind of the move receiver stuff. Um, a little bit down further outside of that top five, it just becomes an absolute disaster uh, <laughs> on the sim list. We get Dante Pettis, uh, Devin uh, Titus Young, and Dexter McCluster. So, you know, it's actually a better list than I would have thought for Tony. He's getting built out totally by draft position uh, in his 40 time here. And, you know, I mean, really, the line is up to 40. It's a decent speed score. So there's some redeeming qualities here. My biggest issue is that for me to like Tony, I would have wanted him to land in an inventive offense of some kind, but he lands with, you know, bread, vanilla, ice cream, uh, manila folder, chalk, Jason Garrett. I mean, it's like, it's the absolute worst pairing of player to offensive coordinator mind. if, If he, if he would have gone to Kansas city or if he would have gone to new Orleans or if he would have gone to green Bay, and been the number two receiver there. Like, there are spots where he could have landed that I probably would have over-adjusted um, if he had still got the first-round draft capital. Um, but this was not one of them. So, you know, Tony, Tony's definitely not, like, going to move into the back end of round one and rookie drafts for me, despite the early draft capital and the wide receiver four status there. Didn't we also see Tavon Austin play for Jason Garrett and the team try to make a case that they were going to use him all the time and, and nothing to came to fruition? He <clears> was completely misused. Yeah, as a web back. I remember it's the first <laughs> time I ever heard that. It was going to be a web back. He was get 15 to 20 touches per game. Um, it's, yeah. it's one of the worst Roto World blurbs of all time. Yes, absolutely. So I, I think that we can pivot now off of Tony. Uh, let's get to what is going to go down as a very exciting pick for a lot of people. I feel like I'm – Curtis, we actually talked about this uh, – I don't remember, yes, it was last week, about the possibility of Najee Harris going to Pittsburgh, how pumped up people would be. Now, you recently drafted him in a Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty League that we are in. You took him before I had the chance to get him. I am not feeling great about that. I'm actually going to let you roll with this one first instead of our guests here because I'm sure you're so enthused that you want to break this down. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For me. Yeah, what's pretty cool, actually, uh, Najee Harris and then the next player we're going to talk about here in a minute, two players like the fourth round of that startup. Yep. Um, so I, I took uh, I took Najee at a 401 uh, in a super flex startup, was very happy with that. And then I traded up to the 404 to grab that next player. You know, landing in Pittsburgh, we've seen that, you know, Mike Tomlin and, you know, the uh, the handful of OCs that we've seen there over the years have not been afraid to use a true bell cow uh, every down back. So, I mean, I think that thing, Ben prefers it, doesn't like the subs um, coming in and out. Ben will throw, Ben Roethlisberger will throw to his running backs. That's good. Uh, we know Najee's under, uh, underrated there uh, or, or perhaps became properly rated by the end of the process uh, for his receiver. You know, uh, Pittsburgh needs to fix the line. Um, so, you know, I, I hope they, they lost uh, Villanueva uh, to division rival Baltimore. I think that's a problem for them. Um, they're going to need to address the line uh, day two, possibly, or find some veterans. But just in general, I mean, I'm a big fan of Najee's talent. Um, and you like to see him land with a team that at least will use a true uh, a true alpha back. So, yeah, great. You, you love to see the round one draft capital. You love to see him land on a, a team that should be able to score some points. Um, and maybe he's the missing piece. Maybe he's the, the lone missing piece of the Steelers returning to AFC North greatness. Who knows? Nice. Nathan, you on board um, with Curtis's thoughts there? Is there any chance that you have a bit more of a pessimistic spin on this? I'm not. Uh, I, I have been very much on a – explain it to me like I'm five. I don't understand why the Steelers – have been considered a good landing spot for running backs over the last couple of years. Obviously, last year was James Connors on a, on a one-year deal, and then entering this year, they have literally nothing at the running back position. That is literally the only plus from the Steelers as far as a why they're a good landing spot point of view. They have a 39-year-old quarterback who has been on and off either terrible or okay, and they don't have long-term prospects as far as Mason Rudolph. They just signed to a one-year extension. Najee Harris is good. He's a guy who I'm still going to be taking in the top seven of, of rookie Superflex drafts. But I don't buy into the Steelers being a good long-term landing spot. It might be okay, but I think that Ben Roethlisberger and his arm dying and that impacting the role of Najee Harris is well within the range of outcomes. Okay, so I want Curtis to make sure that we get uh, the updates from the box score scout. Well, Travis gives us what uh, where he lands on this one. Sure, yeah, I, I definitely like Najee Harris. I think most people do. Uh, I still remember having conversations about Najee Harris, I don't know, six years ago. I think he, he first... <laughs> He first committed to Alabama back in seriously 2015 and everyone already crowned him like the top running back prospect that year. And so as a Debbie fantasy football nerd, like I was talking about this guy seriously six years ago. And so it's really cool to see him finally make it. And wow, he's seriously the, the running back that we thought he could be. He takes on this huge workload, builds out his receiving profile. 
uh, in a way that we didn't know was possible. And he's the first running back taken in in the draft. And he goes to an opportunity that on paper, there's like no one else there, like you mentioned, Nathan, to compete. But, you know, last year, you know, take this for what what you will. But, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, you know, he was like that was like a 31st ranked offensive line last year. And then they lose uh, one of their starting tackles on top of that. And uh, so, yeah, there, there are some things I'm, I'm definitely worried about uh, because he's going to go from having like just a free two and a half to three yards on every single stink and carry uh, behind that Alabama offensive line to a situation where he's now playing for the worst if or maybe like a bottom five offensive line in, in the league. So he's not going to have giant runways and he's going to have to use every bit of that 230 pound frame to just add some yards after contact a lot because he's not going to be the efficient playmaker we want him to be uh, in that offense. So I, I still like uh, at least one or two running backs maybe uh, over Najee Harris this year, which feels weird to say. Got it. Curtis, can you uh, jump in here for us? Uh, yes, his updated Sims from the prospect box score scout with a draft position of 24. Uh, number one Sim becomes Doug Martin. Um, I, th- I think that we can say that's uh, that's mostly a positive. Yep. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, um, former Steelers fantasy great Richard Mendenhall is his number <laughs> two. Uh, DeAndre Swift, Carryon Johnson, David Wilson, Jonathan Stewart, Ben Tate, Cam Akers, Eddie Lacy. Um, kind of round out that group. So I think that's it. That's an interesting group. I mean, we have some pretty solid hits. Uh, we have some disappointments. Um, you know, I, I think I think a spectrum of of Ben Tate to Jonathan Stewart. I, I mean, actually, those two names are pretty interesting as like a range of outcomes because you know Tate had some effective fantasies. Uh, he had some fantasy success. It was very short lived. Uh, Stewart hung around for a long time, and I think it's safe to say, I think most of us would agree, uh, had D'Angelo Williams not there. I mean, Stewart, a perennial RB1, he just never, you know, they split that role for so long in Carolina there. Um, so I, I really don't mind that. I mean, I think this is a fine list for for uh, Najee, a lot, lots of the heavier back with uh, being pulled. And I think the one thing that we, we like from him um, versus anyone else on his list is nearly double the final season receptions of anyone else on this list. Only Richard Mendenhall came close. Nobody receptions uh, final college season uh, on this list. Najee had uh, forty three, of course. Yeah, I like that. I, I love that tool. That's one of my favorite ones. I, I go to the box score scout all the time. But I also mess around with the running back and wide receiver lab uh, prospect lab too, just because that builds in. I mean, you can build out like nine variables and look at uh, a player's profile from so many different angles and no matter how you build it uh, Derrick Henry actually pops up quite often as one of his best comps and I know people are going to talk about him not being quite as big but he's a better receiver so I think if you can add some value there uh, that's going to be a huge plus and you know other big body guys like that had successful windows even like Jeremy Hill shows up there like even Beanie Wells because remember that dude, yep, yep. Uh, Rashad Penny is also on there. So it's a, yeah, you know, that's not great, but uh, uh, yeah, may he, uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe he bounces back. Probably not, but uh, yeah, th- there's so many fun tools to, to mess around with, uh, with, with uh, Rotoviz, but, but man, Najee Harris uh, is still, it's, it's not definitely an imperfect landing spot. I'll just say that it's kind of like, I want to get excited about the opportunity, but there's just a, but there. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that because as Nathan was talking about earlier, I think that the cachet that uh, the Pittsburgh running back situation has uh, in comparison to that stretch where we saw it felt like anybody that was going to get placed back there um, was going to be able to prosper. I don't know if that's the same team anymore, and I think that's probably less likely that it is. Nathan, did you have one more thing you wanted to add there? I may have seen you looking like you wanted to jump in. Are you good? No? You good? All right, so... That can bring us to a pick that I can see it on Curtis's face. He cannot wait to talk about this. We also actually got a question in the chat, and I believe this player would be the answer, or that the player that to that question uh, is going to get brought up here, and that was which you know player already in a team lost the most value. That is going to be James Robinson for sure, uh, because Travis Etienne goes to the Jaguars at pick twenty-five. Uh, Curtis. I can see a smile on your face. I'm going to let you have the floor first. Yeah. I, I was frantically scrolling my Twitter feed to uh, pull up my dynasty trade of trading away James Robinson a few weeks ago. Uh, it was a really, it was when I got a lot of flack for uh, the price point that I took, but this is exactly what you feared. This is exactly what you feared. So Travis Etienne goes 25 to Jacksonville and uh, James Robinson whether this draft pick in the first round with such a talented player happened or not, there was no circumstance regime change, the system change, coaching change, that Robinson's going to get the same type of backfield work share that he had uh, in his rookie season. He he definitely already had the best season in his career, um, no matter what happened in the NFL draft this year. There, that, those set of circumstances weren't going to occur again. Um, now, Travis Etienne just... Uh, this is this is a very very bad situation for for James, unfortunately. So, um, Tien, uh, we'll go ahead and start with the tools here, and then we'll kick it over to the other guys for um, some instant analysis. Um, what's really interesting, and I guess I guess when you compare the seasons and the final season receiving and the similar forty times, um, it, this kind of makes sense a little bit. But Etn pulls in a lot of the lighter comps uh, from Najee's list, but then some other guys too. Um, so Mendenhall, interestingly enough, is his top sim. And then we see Cam Akers, Mark Ingram, Clyde edwards Lair, CJ Spiller, former Clemson great. I think that's an, a really interesting, uh, a really interesting sim. Of course, Spiller was a top, top 10 pick uh, in the NFL draft. But stylistically, I think there's some similarities, except ETN's got 20 pounds on, on Spiller. Uh, so perhaps we'll be trusted uh, to carry the load in a way that Spiller never was. Kerryon Johnson also shows up, but then we get Kareem Hunt, DeMarco Murray. I mean, those are those are some interesting names there in terms of players who have really popped in fantasy uh, in, a, in a, a very big way, um, like league winners. So I think this is this is a, a great list uh, for ETN. And Urban Meyer is going to run the ball. That's what he's done his whole career. Uh, he, he's his version of the spread is not the the, the prominent you know air raid uh, kind of bastardized spread. Uh, mesh, you know, heavy mesh concept stuff that is taking over the NFL. Urban Meyer is a uh, run first to set up the yak uh, and lots of movement around the backfield, lots of different players touching the ball, uh, but he likes to run the ball. And this is a great landing spot for ETN, great system for him. Yeah, I've talked about it a lot. Um, the strong profile that ETN has when you cut at it from a variety of different lenses uh, and we had talked about and hopefully people took that advice there were so many reasons to be leery of james 
Robinson. So Travis Etienne is in there. Travis, I'm going to go to you first here, seeing as you guys share the same first name. What do you think of this maneuver by the Jags? Well, obviously, uh, they went against their brand and, and got a guy who is not a Jag at all in <laughs> Travis Etienne. And, and plus, he's got the name swag going on, so that's uh, that's a plus, too. He's obviously going to be a slam dunk and is clearly the running back one in this class now, uh, given uh, the, the landing spot. But it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. They're, he's going to have a lot of space to work with, I think, given the threat of Trevor Lawrence and the weapons that they already have there. Uh, I, I, I've seen some really funny blurbs already from uh, what they're saying about how they're going to deploy their running backs just out of respect for the other guys. I already saw something about, like, you know, using James Robinson and Carlos Hyde and then having Travis Etienne as a third down back. That's just hilarious. Like, Travis Etienne had one of the best size speed scores in all of this pro day season this spring, you know, showing up heavier than a lot of people thought he would be at like five, you know, five, 10 ish, 215 pounds, and then still getting around a four, four. That's, that's incredible, especially in a year where we actually saw a bunch of slow times. Uh, I know people talk about pro day forties and adjusting that, but even, even when you do that, this is just a slow class. And so uh, ETN proved that he was, he's was he got that size speed. He has final season receiving yard market share around 14%. He's got some great comps uh, already and goes to an offense that's really looking like it's going to be a high-flying high, high flying offense, and I hate it because I'm a Titans fan. So, uh, yeah, I, I hate rooting for Travis ETN, but uh, if, if I'm going to get a Jags jersey, it's going to be that one. Got it. Yeah, Dave, when when you asked me when I logged on, like, what was my most exciting pick? This was before the Travis Etienne pick happened, yeah. and I answered Trey Lance. And uh, now that the Travis Etienne pick has happened, the answer is Travis Etienne. Uh, I, I think that the Jaguars, I, I kind of, you know, displayed the disadvantages of the Steelers landing spot. And for all the reasons that the Steelers aren't the best landing spot, the Jaguars are a great landing spot. I love their wide receivers with DJ Chark, LaVisca Chanel, Marvin Jones. I love their quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. And Urban Meyer, obviously, it, it, there's some to be seen of, as far as, like, is he an effective NFL head coach, NFL offensive coordinator? But I I think that ETN is set up to be, you know, a 15 to 20 touch type guy in a very productive NFL offense. So ETN's my number one RB based on, you know, Harris to Steelers and ETN to, to Jaguars. I'll take the long-term upside of a Trevor Lawrence offense over a Ben Roethlisberger offense every time. So wait a second though. I got, I got to interject in here. Am I to surmise given this, that you trust the competency of urban Meyer more than you do the competency of Bill Belichick? Cause that's what I'm gathering from our conversations tonight. <laughs> No, no. I if if Urban Meyer had Mac Jones at quarterback, I wouldn't be as confident as <laughs> as I am as Urban Meyer has Trevor Lawrence. All right, all right, Curtis. It looked like you you wanted to pop in with something. Yeah, so I, I I dug up this trade, and so listen. I mean, we're breaking down the draft here, but this is also an opportunity. <laughs> I knew this was coming. Listen, this is this is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Three. <laughs> It, it is it is ridiculous. Listen, this is why this is why we put out content because we want people to make these types of moves because this is the most obvious thing you can see this from twenty miles away. You trade running backs when they accrue in dynasty, like it's just the most obvious thing. And so I was able to trade, you know, just like sixty days ago, 
when, when the team signed Carlos Hyde, and everyone presumed that okay, well, Hyde had this previous relationship, so the Jags are out on running back. They're done. Um, I sent James Robinson plus two twelve, received Jalen Rager plus one hundred eight. Then I used one hundred eight on Jalen Waddle. So Jalen Waddle, Rager, double power. Uh, in exchange for James Robinson plus essentially a throw-in in a one QB league. Um, and so that's what you do. You trade UDFA. I mean, you could have done the same thing with Philip Lindsay. A couple of UDFA, run hits, enjoy the production you got, send them away, uh, re, you know, reap the profits and, and, and just move on. Um, you know, I think Nathan to, to hop on your enthusiasm there. You know, Najee's been my, my one, uh, running back in the class all along. You know, just by uh, the thinnest of of margins, and you know, I'm I'm going to keep him there for now. However, um, if the it, it, it could change as soon as the end of the NFL draft, like leave time. Some people listen to this pod. I might change it if the Steelers don't address the offensive line. Um, I, that would that would really would be all that it would would take for me uh, at this point. It really was free TN. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I like that point, too, that you made about we have to see how they do fill out the rest of these teams because that could shift the opinion on some of these things. Uh, like you, Curtis, and we talked about this before, we were the two guys at Rotoviz that were the highest on Harris. But I have been talking about how impressive I find ETN's profile to be, and I do think that now we have a significant conversation, similar to the way that last year I was torn as to what to do with Jonathan Taylor and Clyde edwards Tolaire post-draft. I'm going to have to think about this one for a while because – Though I might like Harris a little bit more as a player, this now becomes a pretty compelling situation that you can, um, you know, the situation for ETN, you can assign a lot of positives to it. Um, Let's get to the final player that's going to have fantasy implications or direct fantasy implications for the majority of our listeners as we head into 2021. That's Rashad Bateman going to the Baltimore Ravens. So the wide receiver out of Minnesota finds himself in this offense that Curtis and I have just been railing on week in and week out. Nathan, try to give the people out there some reasons that they could be positive about Bateman going to Baltimore and why Curtis and I might be wrong that this is not a good landing spot for any wide receiver. So landing spots, for the most part, they you have to – factor in value and the reason why I have been salivating at the Baltimore landing spot for the last couple of months has been I know whoever goes to Baltimore has an immediate bump down in value mm-hmm. and so there's going to be second and third round wide receivers that are taken ahead of Rashad Bateman the first rounder to Baltimore I will not be one of those people I will be taking first rounder Baltimore wide receiver Rashad Bateman over the guys who are going on in going in day two. So my excitement here is that over the fact that there's going to be people who are making the mistake of saying, Oh, running team. Oh, Lamar Jackson, not a passer and taking lesser receivers, taking lesser guys who don't have the investment that Rashad Bateman does. So I like Rashad Bateman or as a receiver. And then when you add that with the fact that people are going to, overrate the you know downgrade of his offense all that equals is a you know positive fantasy value for for Rashad Bateman absolutely uh and and Rashad Bateman 
I mean, he's got a great, I mean, we've been talking about him and his production profile for a long time. I think all, all of us here love Rashad Bateman as a prospect. Yes, the situation's less than ideal, but man, you guys remember the last time a wide receiver was selected as a first rounder for the Ravens? It was Marquise Hollywood Brown, right? Uh, but he was dropped down boards like crazy, like Nathan mentioned, because of the landing spot. And so I think it is it is all about the spot in which you try to acquire him. It's, it, it's going to be like a game of chicken with uh, Rashad Bateman, I think, in, in rookie drafts, uh, if, if you're worried about uh, early opportunity. But one of the most ridiculous examples I've ever seen of draft capital just being ignored was when we saw Marquis Hollywood Brown get taken. Like, And for him, it was size concerns as well, but... I'm going to read just the second round, by the way, from a real rookie draft of mine where I got Marquise Hollywood Brown real quick. Okay, so this is 14-team league, by the way. So starting at pick 15, 2.01, we, we saw Miko Hardman go off the board. And after that, we saw J.J. Arcega-Whiteside go off the board. And then after that, we saw Irv Smith Jr., Andy Isabella, Justice Hill, Bruce Anderson, undrafted free agent running back, Daryl Henderson, and then Marquise Hollywood Brown at pick 22. Just an absolutely absurd reach after reach after reach after reach. And I'm not going to name drop just because there's, there's, I like the people too much. But, man, they made some bad decisions. Uh, <laughs> and and <laughs> thank you, yes. Yeah. Waiting yeah, waiting to use that one, I'm sure. Yeah. They, but uh, I really like Rashad Bateman's analytical profile. Like His adjusted production index is above the 90th percentile. He had a great breakout age. Uh, he checks a lot of boxes from a film standpoint, if that's what you're into in terms of what he does and how he wins. He wins on slant routes at, at a ridiculous rate. He, ran, he wins on double moves at a ridiculous rate. Uh, so Rashad Bateman just has most everything that you want to see in a wide receiver prospect. And the landing spot's not perfect, but he's probably going to drop into the second round now. So have at it, guys. Enjoy the value as it drops. Uh, Dave, can you play the sad trombone one again? <laughs> of course, <laughs> it'll never, it'll never get old. It, um, it will not. So, so, and and yeah, and I don't ask for uh, the sound, the the sound uh, clip there necessarily uh, for Rashad Bateman. It's that sad trombone is playing for someone in the Ravens offense. Uh, for one of the following three people, Rashad Bateman, Marquise Hollywood-Brown, Mark Andrews. I don't know which one it's going to be, uh, but what I do know is the offense can't support all three. And so uh, two of the guys will probably be values and one will be overpriced. Um, and so it's a little bit of pass catcher roulette uh, in Baltimore. Um, uh, Dave, we, we went over the quotes from uh, John Harbaugh uh, in one of our earlier episodes this week. I mean, they, it, it, like doubling down is the wrong term because Baltimore literally is just soaking the ball. Like I mean, their, their offense doesn't need to be fixed. I, I mean, it's an incredible offense, um, and they need the right players to execute it, and uh, they can win the Super Bowl the way they're currently constructed. They just need they need to fix their defense and they need to do be able to execute in, in crunch time. Um, so I mean, adding talent at receiver is a good thing. I mean, Lamar sh should you know hypothetically have an open player on every play uh, if he can get through the. Um, but the team's gonna have passing attempts. Uh, they're gonna be in, in a lot of 
neutral game scripts. They don't pass a lot in, in uh, you know, when the, when the score of the game is within one score. Uh, we reviewed that on a pod earlier this week. So, I mean, those things haven't changed. I mean, what's changed is that the name, you know, on the back of the jersey, you know, out there on the perimeter uh, at wide receiver. So, um, I, 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 I kind of, I sort of agree with Nathan that, you know, this is a good value opportunity. Um, it's not a situation where I'd want to be gobbling up um, multiple players from Baltimore. So for Rashad Bateman's the best player available in your rookie draft, um, I'm not saying you should fade him, but if you also own Hollywood uh, or Mark Andrews, you might want to consider, you know, after you take Bateman, you know, what are you going to do to kind of um, uh, spread that out? I don't want to, I don't want to be concentrated. Guys, that that's that's an interesting concept, um, Curtis, to try and throw it back to. I, I guess we'll go to Travis here. Um, my question would be: If you are like, okay, I really want Bateman now, what are you doing with your Hollywood Brown shares? I mean, uh, well, so I'll go first. I, I'm going to go first real quick because I don't keep it short, Travis. I mean, so. I, I think Hollywood is a, a better the type of splash plays that, that Baltimore needs in, in the offense. And we saw it happen in the playoffs at the end of last year. I think Bateman will profile as the chain mover um, in addition to Andrews being that chain mover. Probably a better bet to have touchdowns than, than Hollywood. Um, Hollywood becomes more of like a Deshaun Jackson-like figure in the offense. And, I I mean, honestly, I'd just rather – I don't think anyone's projectable week to week to week because of the limited volume. So I'd rather just have the guy that can win me a week once in a while. Um, that's that's kind of my take. Yeah, I was going to say from, from a – right there with you, just from a much better best ball type play – and a uh, player to have on your team. If you, if there's a best ball aspect to your league, then he is like a week, week-to-week starter. Uh, but then again, you know, I think uh, Hollywood Brown is entering year three of his career, and if this is just a crater to his value or if after a few weeks, you can't you can't move him right now. Uh, there, there's no one that's going to really go for that and give you anywhere near the value that you'd like. So you have to hold right now. Um, and wait for a kind of a, an, an up moment in that uh, big boom week that you might have to move off of him or, you know, wait for the uh, crater to, you know, crater even worse and even try to add a few understanding that given uh, their investment in Bateman and given their likely nature to uh, keep Andrews there as a target, I doubt they even exercise his fifth-year option. And maybe if you're playing long-term in Dynasty, you, you hold on and hope that he has a, a nicer landing spot with a second contract, uh, you know, having a career arc like Emmanuel Sanders or something like that, just a longer-term thinking there. I, I do think that we're going to see elements of 2019 Baltimore Ravens offense in 2021. And that's going to be your selling opportunity for the entire Ravens offense, whether it be Lamar Jackson, Hollywood Brown, or even to a small extent, Bateman, like the Ravens offense was pretty much bad in 2020. And, you know, you have Dobbins continuing to improve. I know Curtis is a huge Dobbins guy. And so I, I think that, you know, once we start to see some semblance of 2019, that's when you'll have the opportunity to sell any of your Ravens guys that you don't want to, you know, hold on to. Yeah, I mean, Dobbins, Dobbins is kind of the same situation as Bateman. Huge Dobbins guy uh, pre-draft lands in a situation where there's only so many 
rushing touches to go around and Lamar Jackson takes a thousand yards and seven to 10 rushing touchdowns a year. Um, and they don't throw, they don't throw the ball, they don't throw the ball very much at all. So it's, I mean, it's just kind of the same manifestation that we see in the, in the running game. They're splitting the, the valuable running, rushing touches up three ways, uh, splitting a limited volume up three ways. And so it's just, it's like the Baltimore offense is definitely a situation where like, you know, the whole is uh, is greater than the, the sum of the parts in the NFL. Um, and, and the parts are really good, too. Uh, but for fantasy, it's just like, you know, you just want Lamar Jackson and not really anybody else. And, like, I don't think that – I don't think that Bateman landing here really changes anything about that. Anybody have any follow-up on that or uh, if not? All right, so let's pivot off of there. So we have hit through – all of the offensive players that we need to talk about. I will float this out there. If there was a defensive player that anybody felt uh, was a particularly interesting pick that they wanted to talk about, we could go that way. If not, I do have a topic that I would like to pose, but it looks like Travis might have something for us. No. I've been waiting to hit the crickets too, so that was it. So. Yeah, no, you caught me. You know, it's funny. I've been juggling some things. Like I was yeah. trying. I've actually finished my Kyle Pitts piece while we while we've been pod, podcasting. Oh, nice. Yep, and been tweeting out road of his dynasty stuff. And I was on other shows tonight. It's just been a weird night. So I, I completely missed your questions. So. Oh, that's fine. This <laughs> guy. Yeah, you know that's that, that's fine. I was gonna say this guy is this guy is rocking and rolling here though. Uh, but we got into a little bit of a conversation that I want to talk about before we close. For it, remind me if we actually did talk about this on air, but the question came up about uh, which player's value changed more positively tonight. Jalen Hurts, by the function that the Eagles went out, got a receiver, didn't draft a quarterback, or did Trey Lance's value appreciate more given the fact that San Francisco took him? And I believe there was another element to that conversation we were having, but I but I don't remember that. So Nathan or Curtis, pop in here and uh, just, 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 just run with <clears> this. So my, my take on the situation was that Jalen Hurts' value rose more, but I would pref- still prefer Trey Lance. So the fact that they traded up, didn't take Justin Fields, they took Devonta Smith to support uh, Jalen Hurts, that's a positive. But there aren't many scenarios where I'm going to take a second-round Jalen Hurts who hasn't proven to be an efficient passer over the long term quite yet over a guy who's taken number three by Kyle Shanahan, who is an offensive coordinator, who's our head coach, offensive coordinator, has proven to be effective from a fantasy perspective. Plus, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George, George Kittle is much better than you can get from Devonta Smith and, uh, and Jalen Rager. Yeah, so just to add um, some context here, I'm looking at Rotoviz Triflex, Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty Startup ADP. And, and coming into tonight through 27 drafts this year, Jalen Hurts is QB 13 with an ADP of 
Lance was QB 14 uh, with uh, an ADP of 47.5. So uh, going uh, almost a full round behind Hertz. We're talking about uh, early fourth versus uh, very end of the fourth the two players. And so, Nathan, it was before the show, Dave, um, to yep. get back to your point. This was not, not on air, and we were kind of figuring this out together. Um, I really appreciated some of the points that, that Nathan meant or the you know, the surrounding weapons. I mean, he's still got the Konami code um, aspect to his game, certainly run the ball. Um, you know, when you look at what San Francisco has in the backfield versus what Philly has, if you're still a Miles Sanders believer, uh, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, Lance will not, perhaps with his size and the lack of a, a strong running back, Lance gets some of those goal line carries. I mean, we could legitimately see like, rookie season Cam Newton stuff from Trey Lance this year. Like, I don't think that's um, out of the question. So you have to look at all that. But then, you know, for me personally, I'm a bit conflicted because I feel like Jalen Hurts should, I mean, if I was running a franchise, I would have thought, you know, he's the top 10 overall player in last year's draft. It's always really not made sense to me why he was a second round pick. You know, he had this hole in his profile because he transferred uh, and, and he lost, lost the job in a, in a weird way. You know, to Tua, um, who also ended up being a first-round pick. And we've had other recent, you know, college quarterbacks lose their job or transfer over uh, far less competition. I mean, Justin Fields going 11 overall this year, left Georgia, and and the team started Jake Fromm uh, over him. I mean, I mean, so you know that that's way worse than than Hurts leaving Alabama because of Tua, and then going and setting you know all kinds of records at Oma. Um, and having some unique quarterback profiles in, in college football history from a passing and rushing perspective. So that, that that's the, the piece for me. It's like Jalen Hurts has done it at a high level. Trey Lance hasn't done it at a high level and hasn't done it very much. Um, he hasn't played in, in over a year, uh, very young. Uh, so, so it's, you know, how much do you believe in his athletic profile and the Shanahan offensive system design? And how much of a chance are you willing to take on that? Versus Hertz, who we saw at least be, you know, a pretty impressive fantasy producer in limited sample size last year, and his offense is objectively better now, having uh, added Devontae Smith. So it's really fascinating debate. I think it's a it's an important one too because if you don't take a quarterback in the first three rounds of your draft, you're going to be faced with this uh, decision, or perhaps both of them move into the third round. Now you could easily be faced with this if you're if you're on team, you know, fade QB in the first couple of rounds of a superflex. So. Uh, this one might take a, a week or two to figure out, uh, but certainly an interesting topic. And it's also one of those topics that there might not necessarily be a wrong answer. That I, I, Trey Lance, Jalen Hurts could both possibly be top eight, top eight to twelve unit ice quarterbacks over the next several years. Yeah, and that's, Fields as well. Yeah, that's definitely uh, in uh, in play as well. Uh, so a lot of exciting things that happened. Maybe let's try to close this down quickly. I will throw out this question, um, and it's okay if we have overlap in the answer. I'll start with Travis on this one. Um, the most exciting pick that was made, forgive me if when you were talking about somebody you already kind of said this, but what pick to you really uh, pumped you up? So I, I think the the pick that really pumped me up was actually the Travis Etienne pick just because of, uh, you know, just because his name. No, I mean, it's way more than that. It, it's And when you look at what 
James Robinson was able to do. I know it's new regime and everything. There's there are things that are going to look different than last year, uh, but he came in and, and virtually dealing with a lot of the same pieces with an upgrade at quarterback. Uh, and, and basically a way better situation. And James Robinson was an undrafted free agent talent and came in and was like, hey, guys, what's up? I'm a running back one. And uh, and then Travis Etienne comes in with first-round capital with an incredible receiving profile with, with multiple 1,500-yard-plus seasons on his resume and all the pedigree in the world. Uh, and you, you just you got to get giddy with that. So I, I was just – that was the most exciting pick for me. Very nice. All right, Nathan, how about you? <laughs> If I'm if you're taking away ETN from me and we've talked at length about about Lance, I, I will say Waddle because the Miami Dolphins offense. We we've talked about the Bengals, we've talked about the Cowboys, we talked about all these offenses that have this high upside. The Dolphins have some sneaky upside here with with Waddle and Fuller and Parker. Like they don't have a bad offense around them, and if Tua can show what he showed as a college player then the Dolphins can sneakily be like a top five offense in the NFL. So I, I actually, you know, I don't love the Waddle NFL pick, pick from an NFL perspective, but we're talking about from fantasy. I think Waddle could play himself into being a top 20 wide receiver very quickly. I'd like to hear that. All right, Curtis, what do you think? No, man, I'm going to throw it back to you, Dave. I want to hear – I'll go last. You take okay. your player off the board, man. So – let you spout much uh, tonight. <laughs> That's all right. So I'm actually going to kind of go here with a bit maybe of a bold choice and actually say Jamar Chase going to Cincinnati to me is actually pretty exciting because if Chase is as good as we think that he is and Joe Burrow is as good as it looks like he's been at different points and they have the connection that I think that they could have in the confines of the ascending offense, this could be a situation where he goes in, starts off hot, just gets tremendous volume, and just continues to build and build and build. Uh, so this is exciting to me because uh, it's not all the time that you get to see a player like Chase with the talent that he has get put into a situation where, yes, there's other players there, but there's other factors that might allow him to really prosper. Um, so I'm going to try to spin this positively here on Chase and say that I actually find it uh, pretty exciting um, that he is going to be going back to Cincinnati. Or well, I shouldn't say back to Cincinnati, but going back to uh, playing with uh, Burrow. Yeah, I, I like that. I think that's a that's a great spin. I mean, we, you know, I think that's the, the underrated themes uh, of the night, you know, or fun theme of the night is so many reunions between uh uh, passers and pass catchers uh, in, in the first round. Um, you know, we saw it with, uh, let's see, we saw it with Chase. Uh, we saw it with Devontae Smith. We saw it with Jalen Waddle. Um, and so, you know, that, that that's pretty cool. I mean, that's got to be rare. I don't think it certainly hasn't happened three times in the first round before. Um, of the available choices left on the board, I mean, I'll go back to, to Philadelphia trading up for Devontae Smith, I think um, makes that pretty exciting. You know, they felt so... Uh, compelled that you know he they make a trade with their hated division rival to get in front of their other division rival to take Devonte Smith and play keep away. Um, so uh, you know we talked about this an hour ago. I think Nathan brought up the point. Um, you know the team has told to us that they see Devonte Smith as their um, as their you know bona fide wide receiver one uh, in in doing this and in paying a first plus a third for him, taking him in the top ten. Um, they care more about his talent 
uh, you know, you know his uh, his physical profile, see him for what he is. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's really exciting, and it's cool. It's cool for him after how dominant he was in college to uh, I completely validated being, you know, the third wide receiver off the board despite the, the physical profile questions and going in the top 10. So uh, it's also a bit of a feel-good pick for me. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So I think we have a lot to be excited about. Want to thank uh, Nathan and Travis for coming on. Why don't, uh, before we sign off here, Nathan, tell us, uh, you know, what people can look for, uh, you know, coming out of coming out of your neck in the woods in the coming weeks. Yeah, for sure. Uh, make sure to tune in the Dank Streetcast on Road Radio with myself, uh, Nathan Powell, and Dan Senio. We'll have all the reactions to the draft weekend and how you should react to that from your Dynasty team perspective. And also, I have a series for those that are a commissioner of a Dynasty League. I have a series called Commissioner Chronicles on the DLF YouTube channel. Uh, make sure to check that out. We cover all, all sorts of different Dynasty topics in terms of, you know, Superflex or Contract or Devi or basically if there's a if there's a topic you're looking to cover as commissioner, the Commissioner Chronicles is looking to cover it. So either it's been covered or ask me to cover it, and I'll be happy to, to talk about it. So. Uh, Commissioner Chronicles on the LF YouTube channel and Rotoviz Dynasty nice Streetcast on Rotoviz Radio. Awesome. Travis, let the people know uh, where they can find you and what uh, you're going to be up to in the next couple of weeks. Uh, sure. So I, I've got my College to Canton podcast, uh, which really focuses in on really the journey of prospects from early college football recruiting through the, throughout their college career, talking about production profiles and uh, breaking down players from all sorts of angles, uh, you know, getting drafted all the way to discussions as to who should be, you know, in the Hall of Fame. So it's just a it's a fun show. I love doing that. I uh, have a lot of fun guests on there talking college football and NFL. Uh, but I've got my top 100 rookie series. Uh, coming out at Rotoviz here again. I always do that uh, one kind of pre-draft, and, and I do that really early. Uh, and I've been making that list and working on that really since like late last September. <laughs> so I've uh, been digging in and doing both sides of the ball, offense and defense for you guys. Generally about a 60-40 split there. So if you play uh, weird IDP leagues, uh, even for you guys, uh, putting some names out there. So we're going to have 100 rookies uh, here out shortly. As, as soon as the draft gets over with, I'll basically have that list completely done. Uh, and then, yeah, so that that's always a huge project, but it's a, it's a lot of fun. So be looking for that here soon. Awesome. Yeah, that's all cool stuff that you guys have going on. Definitely recommend people check that out. Curtis, you and I are going to be pretty busy uh, for sure over the next couple of weeks and probably also in the next couple of days. Break down, uh, you know, some of the things that we also have going on at Rotoviz quickly before we pop off here. Man, I'm, I'm just I'm so pumped. Like every single day of the dynasty year is the best is, is the best day. Um, I, I, I love this game so much. And when you when you have a gift like the NFL draft come and just it, it makes it fresh and exciting and new again. Um, it just reminds me, you know, how much uh, I love fantasy football. I love talking about it. Uh, love um, cutting it up with, um, you know, some other uh, town players and analysts uh, like this. It's been a lot of fun um, in terms of specifics. Um, tomorrow, actually, tomorrow night, um, you and I and Travis and Sean and Blair will actually be going through our final rankings in the uh, Volume 3 of the Revis, uh Fantasy Football Rookie Draft Guide. It's going to be awesome. We're going to get that out uh, in advance of anyone's rookie draft starting uh, the first of the week. So we're going to do a little bit different this year. We're just going to release those rankings directly to everyone. 
uh, probably on Sunday, maybe as early as tomorrow night, uh, I guess, well, Sunday or Saturday night, rather, um, if you're listening to this on, on Friday, it'd be tomorrow. Um, good luck keeping track of that timeline over the last 10 <laughs> seconds. Um, it's going to be in inboxes probably. Yeah, I'm losing track of time. Um, it's going to be in your inboxes either late Saturday night or Sunday. Uh, the rankings for one QB, super flex with tight end premium or just uh, tight end premium um, rankings and tiers along where those value spots uh, have changed. Uh, so you have a chance to to make some trades as well uh, and just move around your rookie draft. So uh, that'll be the first thing that we're really doing. I'm going to be continuing my uh, dynasty trade targets. It's really been a huge smash uh, over the last couple of weeks. I mean, to tell people are really excited to play some dynasty this year. I mean, the readership's been through the roof in the comments. So just really appreciate everybody's support uh, of our great site and all the work that, that all of our analysts are doing. Um, and I, I got to leave a quick, um, Blair, uh, Andrew, Sean Siegel, and Matt Spencer put out some really cool pieces uh, on the site today that really uh, paint some context around the running backs and the wide receivers in this class, and I know they're going to be tweaking that um, to adjust for the draft capital as well. So make sure you check out those three pieces. It's really going to make you feel uh, smarter and more equipped to attack your rookie draft. Yeah, awesome, awesome stuff coming out today. Well, thanks again to everybody for tuning in and uh, to Nathan and Travis for hanging out with Curtis and I tonight. Thanks for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at RotovizFFShow at gmail.com. Visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener-only discounts. And until next time, thanks for stopping by.